Mark 3, the Bible says in verse 1, And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there with a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath days, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he said unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day, or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. The Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Isn't that a great passage of scripture? You've got a man with a withered hand. Everything else is fine. His feet work, his legs work, his arms work, his hands work, his head work. Everything is fine except one thing. His hand is withered. And this pictures the prototypical Pharisee. And it's showing, Jesus is picturing here, what the nation of Israel has basically turned into. The Pharisee thinks he's serving God. The Pharisee thinks he's God's right-hand man. And that nation thinks they're right there with God. There's nothing wrong with the sacrifices. There's nothing wrong with the temple. There's nothing wrong with the feasts or the ordinances or the statutes or the law. There's nothing wrong with that. All of it's fine except one thing. They've got a withered heart. And they have lost their love for God. And even though everything else is good and right and functioning fine, what they end up with is dead religion. They end up with dead religion. And that's the picture of the Pharisee. That's all they have. Dead religion. You know, when you see a deformity in somebody, a physical deformity, uh, mainly it's a couple of reasons. Some are just born that way. And we see that happen. Uh, some deformities are because, because of an accident. You, you get caught in a situation, an accident happens, and now you have a physical deformity. But some, you ever hear the saying, if, if, you, don't, if you don't use it, you'll lose it? Some is related to that. And look at verse number six, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to continue on that thought. The Bible says in verse six, and the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. The Pharisees, they come unglued. They're losing something because their heart has been so disconnected from God 
that that is their problem. So when Jesus heals this man with the withered hand, the Pharisees come unglued and they completely miss what Jesus is even trying to teach them through this healing of the hand. Guys, you got everything right, except you got one thing wrong, and all you got now is just dead religion. You don't have a relationship with God. So what is happening is Christ is moving away. He's starting to distance himself now from the nation and from kingdom of heaven principles. Watch what he says in verse 7. But Jesus, what does he do? He withdrew himself. There's a point now where Jesus, in, in, in this passage, he's starting to move away. And this, and these first six verses, as they, they typify the nation, if you will. But look at verse number one, because I'm going to pull out some practical application. It says, and he entered again into the synagogue. Where was this man? He's got a withered hand. Where is he? He's in the house of worship. <laughs> it's a good place to show up. Some practical application that we can take for this evening is don't despise the house of God. And praise the Lord. We're meeting on a midweek service and folks are prioritizing that. And that, that is a blessing. You hear the seeker sensitive movement. Basically, churches look for people's felt needs. And then they'll design services or sermons or advertisements or whatever you want to call it to uh, try to meet the seeker's felt need. You know, this man with the withered hand, you know where he showed up? At the house of worship. He shows up at the synagogue. You know how we probably should be thinking? Why don't we just show up at the house of God? Why don't we just show up at the house of worship? Not for our own felt needs, but why don't we just show up and see if there's a man that has a real need. And then we may be able to serve or help him or her. And that's a good place to say amen. Amen. We probably... Unless you're a doctor, really can't do much for someone's physical, withered body part. But we certainly can help people that have a withered heart and introduce them to the great physician. And if they are saved, help them get some comfort from the Lord. Look at verse number five. Look at the obedience of this man. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, stretch, stretch forth thine hand. Next sentence. And he stretched it out. You see how quickly he obeyed and his hand was restored whole as the other. The Pharisees are useless. Their hands are basically tied because they are not yielding to God. They're not obeying God and they have no interest in obeying God. 
So they're useless. Except when it comes time to do what? Have someone healed. And then there they are, fault finding. Well, you can't do that. It's the Sabbath. Why would you do that? They come unglued. God help us to not be the pharisaical fault finder. <laughs> Say that a few times as a tongue twister. Somebody comes to church. You spend 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes with them. Then they come again and spend an hour with them. Then they come again and you labor some more with them. And the Holy Spirit so convicts them that they trust Christ as their Savior. What should we do? Praise God. Let's not find fault the next time he, time he comes to church. Well, he's not dressed right. He don't talk right. He don't have the right version. He don't have this. He don't. We can look, there's plenty to fault find with. I don't want to be that person. That's the Pharisee. They find fault with everything and everybody except guess who? Themselves. Instead of the pointing the finger this way, we all should point the finger toward ourselves. You ever have to work with somebody and every time, you know, you're the foreman or you're the boss or you're the manager. And every time you come to a, a point in the job where something new has to be accomplished, you say, okay, here's what I want you to do. Go grab this widget. We're going to fix this gadget. And he's got another tool he wants to get. And then you say, well, we're going to do it this way. And he or she has another way to do it all the time. Everything you say, they've got an opposite negative, negative uh, application. Why? That's a Pharisee. They're always looking for fault. And if we as individual Christians are always looking for the faults in others, we're at fault. We really are. And I'm going to tell you why. Because any of us, if we look hard enough at anybody else's life, we can find something wrong with it. Amen. We can. Which tells me we would all agree that we all have things in our life that aren't quite up to par, right? Which tells me. Why don't we fix those things first? <laughs> Does that make sense? I mean, there's issues we're going to have to handle that come up. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is let's not be a Pharisee. Let's fix the stuff that we need to fix. It will help our hearts. It will.
Because if we're constantly finding fault with others, nobody would put their hand up and say, yeah, I think we should correct Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath. Who would do that? A Pharisee would do that. And we're thinking to ourselves, everybody sees it, guys, except you. Let's not us. God help us not to be the you, <laughs> to, to be that, that person. It'll just hinder our service for God. We'll be useless. It'll be a withered heart. It'll just be useless. And if we keep repeating the same sins over and over, our uselessness for Christ just starts to wither away. It's the same pattern over and over and over and over again. Go to Philippians 2. Let's take a little side trip here. Philippians 2. Christ wants to heal this man. All he did was obey. He did what God told him to do. You look in. Uh, you look at verse uh, number eight. Speaking of Jesus and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became what? Obedient unto death. Bible says verse 12. Wherefore my beloved as you have always obeyed. Not as in my presence only. But now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear. And trembling. Watch what verse 13 says. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. If you are saved tonight. God will help you. Be a servant for him. But. Watch what it says in verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. Let's not be that. Let's not be that. Are we seeking the things of Christ? It's going to help us. But when he heals this man, what was required? Faith. And he said, he said six words to him. That was it. Jesus has been given a sermon. This isn't the Sermon on the Mount. He tells them six things. Stand forth. He obeyed. Stretch forth thine hand. That was it. I'm telling you, I try to put some practical application in this man with the withered hand. I am afraid that too many people today, if Jesus said those six words to them, they'd be on the internet for a weekend trying to research if that's really true. God said it to you. Look at 15 hours of reviews on YouTube to figure out if that's really what Jesus Six words. And he is wanting Wanting to obey by faith. Obey. It's not a bad word. Obedience. Obedience. What's the next part? 
is the very best thing to show that you believe. Doing exactly what the Lord commands. Doing it happily. Action is the key. Do it immediately. Joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. You don't have time to research it. There's no need to. Action is the key. Do it immediately. He said six words. This man obeyed. Maybe it'll help if we spell it. Oh, B, E, D, I, E, N, C, E. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. When we hear from the word of God and we don't do it, it's because we just don't believe him. We just don't believe him. And you know why we have to research on Amazon and read all of the hours of reviews before we buy the flashlight? Because we don't believe what the advertisement says. We don't think that when it lights up, it's going to be able to blind everything within a half a mile. <laughs> so we keep rereading the reviews. We don't have to do that with God's word. We can trust God. We can believe him. This isn't buying a flashlight on Amazon. We can believe God. All right, go back to Mark 3. Get back to a thought here. Um, verses 7 through 12. Verse 7, but Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea. The great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea. So you got this man with the withered hand. We talked about that in the first six, six verses. Mark chapter 3, verses 7 to 12, we have now this multitude that's spoken of. By the time you get to verse 13, watch this here. Bible says, and he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him and he ordained 12 that they should be with him. That he might send them forth to preach. What do you have in verses 13 to 19? You have 12 that are ordained. And Jesus, he is starting to separate himself. We said that earlier. And he's pulling together his 12. And he's going to start revealing truth to those 12. Because the kingdom of heaven stuff and the Israel stuff and the nation stuff. He showed them, you guys are withered. I heal this man's hand. You're still upset. You don't get it. So he starts to draw away. He comes to the multitudes. He starts to draw away. Now he's with the 12 in the next set of verses. And he starts revealing truth to these 12. Verses 20 through 30. 
We have multitudes and scribes. And throughout this whole chapter, it's Jesus starting to pull away. And watch what happens at the end. Look at verse 31. There came then his brethren and his mother. And standing without, sent unto him, calling him. So you know what he's got? He's got Pharisees. They're Jews. He's got multitudes of people. And then he pulls away. Now he's with the 12, teaching them truth. And at the end, he's got his own family. His flesh and blood. His own family. And watch what it says. And standing without, sent unto him calling. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. They're standing without, he's standing within, and nobody's budging. Families, how he's ending this chapter. And he answered them saying in verse 33, who is my mother or my brethren? That's hard right there. That's hard. And he looked round about on them, which sat about him and said, behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. Christ is drawing a line because his family is calling him and he's not coming and he's calling them and guess what they're not coming so he draws this line between what the physical family and the spiritual family and as he asked this question we're going to ask it this evening what is most important. Very clearly. I think we all get it from the text. Jesus is saying look. The spiritual family. My spiritual brethren and sister. Is most. Important. You know what this pictures. The broken relationship. That Israel has with the Lord. It's broken. It is going to be restored. But he's speaking about a new relationship that is built upon true heart obedience to God. We can't do this now because it's winter. But in the middle of the summer, you can look up, find the tallest tree you can find, look up into that tree. And if you look long enough, you might find a branch that has withered, dead leaves on it. And when you look at that, you'll first think to yourself, you know what? That can't happen. All of the other branches have leaves that are colorful and they're doing just fine. And as you look long enough and as you start to look close enough, you realize, wait a minute. That branch has been broken off. 
and it's just lying there in the rest of the other branches, but it's been broken off. And that's why the leaves are withered. It can't bear fruit. My friends, tonight, are you just laying there like a dead branch? Or are you in union with Christ and ready to bring forth fruit? Don't wither away. You will without Christ. Iron binds to a magnet. So that magnetic force, it's invisible. You can't see it. But it is real. And my friends, you should be in complete union with Christ. And nobody can see that force, but you know it's real. It's real. All right, look, Mark 4. Mark 4. So he finished with his family, draws a line in Mark 3. Mark 4, Bible says, and he began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. Where was Christ? On the sea, where was the multitude? Right? See that distancing? He's, there's another line that is drawn. He's creating a separation from the multitude. Now watch what happens. And he taught them many things by parables. That didn't come up until now. But here it is. Why is he teaching in parables? Why is he moving? He starts to separate from the nation. And now he starts to teach in parables. Why? Psalm 78 is a fulfillment of prophecy. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. That's one reason. But the other reason, get Isaiah 6 and Matthew 13. I want you to pay attention to this. It's important. We understand it. Isaiah 6 and Matthew 13. We'll do Isaiah 6 first. Isaiah 6, verse number 9, Bible says, and he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. You know what he's doing? The consequence for the nation for turning away from God is now he's going to turn and speak in parables. It's due to the moral state and condition of that nation. Look at Matthew 13. Look at verse 14. Matthew 13, verse 14. And in them, uh, Matthew 13, verse 14. Is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, we just read it, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. 
Watch it in verse 15. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their ears, eyes, you don't see with your ears, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. The consequent, the parables Jesus is speaking, it's a fulfillment of prophecy, number one. And it's a consequence due to the moral state of that nation. Go back to Mark 4 and we'll end, we'll end here. Look at verse number 11. We see the separation we pointed out in verse number one. Jesus separate from the multitude. Verse two, he's speaking in parables, goes through the parables. Look at verse 11. And he said unto them. Well, who's the them? Well, back up to verse 10. Well, well, look at this. Look at verse 10. When he was alone, they that were about him with the 12 asked him, him the parable. And he said unto them. So who is he speak? Who's the them in verse number 11? That would be the 12. The believing disciples. Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Not a kingdom of heaven. Now next Thursday we're going to get into some of these distinctions in these different accounts of kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven that we didn't address before. But he's talking about a spiritual kingdom right here. Now watch after the semicolon. Watch what he says. But unto them that are without... All these things are done in parables. You know what his, his brethren and his mother, where were they standing? Without. The disciples are going to get it. He's going to give them some truth. He's pulling them aside. He's pulling away from everybody else. Those that are without, they're not going to get it. Who are them that are without? That earthly nation. His physical family. Watch it in verse 12. That seeing they may see. How? With their physical eyes. And not perceive. Meaning what? Spiritually speaking, they will not perceive. They will not understand it. Seeing they may see and not perceive. And hearing they may hear with their physical ear. And not understand. They're not going to get the spiritual meaning. Lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven. God gave the nation the law, right? Do you know you could have had a nation? You could have had a nation. That called out nation of Israel that didn't get sick. You could have had that. If what? 
if they obeyed God and kept the law. And what happened when they did obey it? They didn't get sick. And they had many other physical blessings that came along with that as well. And when they disobeyed, guess what happened? Sickness, disease, leprosy, all, all that pictures sin. You, you all heard of the faith healers? Okay. You know what they do? They wrongly divide the word of truth. They grab passages that belong to Israel as a nation. And they try to name it and claim it. And they're phony. They're phony guys. They're not doing anything by faith. But God told that nation, you obey my law, you will not get sick. But they didn't obey. But all they had to do was obey. <laughs> We're not Israel. We're not under the law. But we still have a principle here. If we obey God, we aren't going to suffer the consequences of disobedience. Spiritually speaking. Okay, so guess what happens? They don't obey. Christ's first advent, his first coming, when he comes, he's the fulfillment of the law. So what does he do? He heals their sick. He casts out the devils. He does all of that. He said, obey my law, you won't get sick. They don't do it. He shows up. He heals their sick. Hey, follow me. They won't do it. They're going to put him on a cross. They just won't obey. What does he do with the 12? He said, look, I'm going to commission you guys for some time. You're going to heal some sick. They don't want to obey. So Christ is pulling, pulling away. And he's withdrawing himself. Because of that rebellious nation. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to stop here. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about some distinctions here between uh, Matthew and Mark's account concerning kingdom of God versus the kingdom of heaven. We're coming to a close, wrapping up these kingdom principles and these kingdom differences. If you obey God, that doesn't mean you're, you're not going to get the flu this year. But, if you obey God immediately and sweetly, you will be blessed by God spiritually. Number one, you'll have joy in your heart and no guilt. <laughs> That's a good thing. And not only do you get the blessing from God, but you get to be a blessing for God for, for, to someone else. Don't be like the Pharisees. Find everything wrong with everybody else. Instead, turn the mirror to you. Look at yourself. Get your life in order by obeying God. And that's a good place to start and end.